0: Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, live in Omaha. I'm John Manuel, back in North Kackalack. I Want to remind you that this and every Baseball America college podcast is brought to you by ATEC. ATEC, I think you all know the drill. ATEC is the training machine company, and they've been bringing you all of Baseball America's college podcasts throughout the year. Probably the last one of the year. Aaron, I don't think we'll debrief each other when the series is over, but we have a college world series finals, and I think we're very excited to have that one. Arizona, undefeated in this College World Series, preseason number five, ran through its bracket with a victory over UCLA, sandwiched between victories against Florida State, won a tight one in 12 innings, one that was uh, over in the first, essentially. And in the other bracket, the two-time defending national champion, South Carolina, kind of the Rocky Balboa of, this, uh, of the College World Series era that we're in right now, Certainly, uh, there have been some teams, Aaron, that are a little bit more clubber Lang or a little bit more Apollo Creed that have more tools. But no one is more of Rocky Balboa and just a flat out bunch of winners like the South Carolina team. And, uh, it's really, it's an amazing story, Aaron, of South Carolina over the last three years in the Cowboys series. 15 and 2, uh, won their first game against Florida, then, uh, lost the second game to Arkansas and Ryan Stanick. And battled its way back to the losers bracket, beating Kent State and then Arkansas twice. It feels like Aaron that South Carolina is once again the story of the College World Series because of this uh, this group, this Michael Roth, my, uh, Matt Price led group that just uh, can't be can't be killed in uh, in, in the College World Series.
1: They can't be. It's it's really uncanny, you know, and, and I think we've all run out of words to describe this group a long time ago, and I keep trying. You know, I, I kind of wrote a, uh, a a piece the other day trying to put Ross College World Series career into historical perspective, and, and yesterday I did the same thing with Price, um, and I think you've got the best, you know, the most accomplished starting pitcher in College World Series history in Roth, and you've got the most accomplished closer in Price. I mean, not Price, John, in his career, the College World Series, has pitched about 25 innings now, 24 and two-thirds. He's given up one run. He's given up one extra-base hit. He struck out 33. He hasn't given, you know, he's riding a 19-inning scoreless streak in, in the in the series into this uh, finals. I mean, it's unbelievable uh, what these guys have done. You know, and they just they get to this stage and they become even better than they already are, and they're good to begin with, but. Um, you know, it's, it is the big story, you know, and, and, and I think Arizona had kind of a good approach about that today in, in the press conference. They were, you know, kind of joking a little bit about how, um, you know, South Carolina is, is, what they've done is amazing and, you know, they have all the fan support and, you know, Robert Ruff Snyder was talking about how he went into the, the fan fest looking for t shirts and all the other teams were sold out, but, uh, nobody bought any Arizona t shirts and, you know, they kind of got that, that thing going a little bit that, uh, uh, under the radar, um, Kind of approach that I feel like suits a lot of teams well in sports. I and mean, we we see that over and over again. That it's not quite a no respect card. I mean, Arizona didn't go down that road for sure, but you know, you can you can tell that they, you know, they they have they have a lot of respect for the Gamecocks. They understand why the Gamecocks get all the attention that they do, and then they probably feed off of that.
0: I think that's a good point. Uh, the no respect card—it only feels like like fans play that card. Teams don't feel like they really play that card. They might say it. I really don't think they' play that car Like they, they like being under the radar. They like having expectations low. You know I think it's more fun to have expectations low and uh, it's easier to super, to exceed those expectations than it is to to be the heavy favorite and have that burden. We've kind of seen that played out a little bit with Florida uh, the last couple of years there, and I, I feel like I don't feel like Florida was the heavy favorite last year. I feel like the Gators were the favorite this year. To touch on the rest of the field, real quick. I, I mean, the number one and number two national seeds were Florida and UCLA, and obviously Florida was our preseason number one. Uh, did you feel like the Gators didn't want to be in Omaha, or do you feel like they just got beat by a better team, and maybe this in South Carolina, just maybe just played a little tight that next game against Kent?
1: You know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, you know, it it's it's so difficult. I think to sum up. Florida's season and to try to put it into perspective because any team that gets to Omaha, I don't care what the expectations are. I'm not going to call them a failure, you know. And I think there's this rush.
0: Yeah, that's a great year, to, no doubt.
1: There's, and I think there's this rush to, to kind of dub Florida that way um, among people who thought this team should have done better, and they certainly could have done better. But you're in the College World Series, uh, you know, three years in a row. That's that's a pretty darn good run, and uh, you know, you get here and, and you come out flat. And you get beat. I mean, they were certainly flat out here. I mean, I think that there's no whether you want to call them tight or what. I don't know. I mean, you start getting into that psychological stuff. It's it's a gray area, but they were they were flat. And I don't All think right. they played very well. Um, certainly not as well as they're capable of playing. Um, and, and you know, and that's one of the things that's so remarkable about South Carolina is they come out here and they seems like they're almost never flat. You know, I mean, it's hard to get out here and play your best baseball. You have to have a special kind of makeup. And, you know, you, somebody was – I was talking with a North Carolina fan the other day, and, you know, he was t- talking about how um, North Carolina's won, you know, two games here in the last four trips. South Carolina's won three games in the last two days. I mean, it's just, you know, getting here is great. It's hard. Wow. But winning here is something else.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think – I think the thing with Florida, to wrap them up, is that uh, – Yeah, the the thing—I don't think you can call their season a disappointment, except in the context of they were better last year. I think that's true. I think they won more games. They were better in the SEC. They were better in Omaha. So in that, if you want to call it a a disappointment, only in context of comparing it to last year and that it was most of the same guys, uh, they weren't as good as last year. I think that's fair. Um, I think that's that's the only real, to me, fair criticism is that. Florida was very good this year, they weren't as good as they were last year. And they didn't have nearly the same accomplishments. I think last year they won the SEC tournament, first time in 20 years that they had done that. Didn't accomplish that this year, so um, like I don't think that uh, I don't think that uh, Stony Brook had a bad year, just because or even had a bad postseason because they were terrible in Omaha. I mean, obviously, their run a little bit less expected of them, uh, but they were pretty bad in Omaha, Aaron. Those was It would have been embarrassing if not for the fact that they won two out of three the week before at LSU. Kent State, very plucky. UCLA, a little disappointing. I think UCLA, very disappointing in Omaha. And if they didn't hit, we really really saw the two brackets were uh, a South Carolina team that just – I'm not trying to oversimplify because obviously Jordan Montgomery was awesome. To beat South Carolina, you're going to have to beat Roth or Price, and no one's done it yet in the postseason. They've won 15 games in the last three years in Omaha. Those two guys right. have combined nine wins. I know wins aren't the greatest stat. Even even Matt Price said I've kind of vulturied some, but uh, he's been in all these close games, and his team always wins them. I think that he has something to do with that. Um, and meanwhile, we yeah. have Arizona. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to oversimplify a little bit, but we, go ahead.
1: I was just going to correct myself, also, that uh, just because I mentioned that North Carolina stat before, what I meant to say is they won two games here in the last four years. Uh, That includes a couple, just a couple of Omaha trips, but you know, I mean, but the point is, the point is, it is hard to win here, and and, you know, I just think it's that's why I think John, you and I both picked South Carolina to to beat Arkansas, even though you know it seemed improbable on paper. I mean, for this team to come back through the losers' bracket again against a better-rested team, just like it did in 2010. Um, you know, you have the disadvantages when you come to the loser's bracket, especially when there's a rainout. you got to play, again, three games in two days. Um, it's, on paper, it doesn't make sense that, that, that team should have the advantage. But, um, you and I both picked South Carolina for both those games because of those, those intangibles, the things you can't wrap your arms around. And, um, it's what makes this group so special.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, the intangibles were, was a big reason. I, there were a couple tangible reasons that I picked them as well. I just think they're a little bit better offensively than, than Arkansas is. It didn't really play out that way because I thought those couple of their runs were kind of gift runs. But Arkansas just never broke through offensively. What was the most runs they scored in a game in the Cowboys Series? Four? Three?
1: Uh, it was uh, something <laughs> like four that. Four games? Yeah,
0: they won a game with two. They won a game with two runs. Oh well, I guess I, I stand corrected. They they scored a few, they scored what five against Kent State?
1: Eight. They scored eight against but Kent State. But if it was State, three I'm against sure. South
0: Carolina, okay. They scored eight against Kent State. So they scored eight against Kent State, and I'm looking at their statistics here, and they scored 12 overall. So they scored four in three games against South Carolina. I mean, that ain't gonna get it done, umpire or not. And the umpiring, I think everyone felt the home plate umpire was very inconsistent in the bracket championship. There's no doubt that he had an impact on the game, but the bottom line is they had, yes, it, South Carolina had to beat them twice, and they did it. The home plate umpire did not uh, screw them in both games. Arkansas needed to score more off Jordan Montgomery, a freshman left-hander making his first atten- uh, outing in uh, the Cobbled series, and Randall Fant didn't get the job done. The bullpen held it, but and he had nine innings, eight innings more after that to, to score if you're Arkansas, and they did get the job done. So kudos to the Razorbacks for finally somewhat living up to that preseason number four ranking. Now we have preseason number three and preseason number five. Obviously, the two-time national champions here and are a little bit more of a known commodity. Uh, The casual fan has seen them on the College World Series stage for now for three years. Arizona, first time. Not a lot of people watched there. Super regional because it was in the broad daylight and it was almost blinding just to watch it was Arizona St. John's. Now here in the Caldwell series, they played three games, are a little spaced out. And the, the Florida State game, the first one was excruciatingly long. It started very late at night. The second game against UCLA was a, a very crisp game, extremely well pitched by Connor Wade. The third game that just blew out Florida State. Uh, we've basically seen you know three pitchers. We've seen Kurt Heyer for 14 plus. We've seen Connor Wade for a CG. And we have seen a little bit of Matt Troop and a little bit of uh, Crawford, the left-hander. Uh, how does the pitching set up for both these clubs? And then let's get through, let's go into Arizona's strengths and weaknesses, and then South Carolina's strengths and weaknesses. Well, how does how does Arizona's pitching set up first?
1: Well, obviously Arizona's in better shape for Game One because you got Connor Wade uh, rested, ready to go, coming off a gem uh, in his last start against uh, what was it UCLA, I believe. Um, yeah, he, you know, he I mean he that,
0: shoved it against UCLA. I mean he was awesome. he really
1: did. He was outstanding. I was, I think, the best he's probably ever pitched. Uh, complete game shutout, you know. So um, you got to give them the edge in that game. South Carolina doesn't even know who they're going to pitch in the first game. It will either be um, Forrest Kumis, Nolan Belcher, or Evan Beal. I think Kumis or Belcher just talking to people, it seems like the, the sentiment is it's going to be one of those two guys. And, you know, Kumis has pitched in the college world series before, and, um, he's certainly capable, but he also has been dealing with elbow issues. So you don't really know what you're going to get out of him. Um, you know, and, and Belcher, the left-hander. I mean, I don't know that he's a great matchup for Arizona. They've got a, they're very right-handed heavy. Um, so I think, uh, you know, not, not that you can't beat them with a good lefty, but, I mean, Belcher hasn't pitched much in the postseason at all. Um, so, you know, I just think that, uh, you gotta give Wade the edge in the first game. In the second game, you're probably looking at the two aces coming back on three days rest. And, you know, even though Roth threw a complete game, um, against Arkansas on Thursday, he threw fewer pitches than than Kurt Heyer did. You know, I mean, I don't, I still don't understand why Andy Lopez left Heyer out there in a nine-run game in the middle of the heat. Um, you know, take him out after five innings. You know, he's got the win. You really need to, to send him out there for 122 pitches when you know you're going to need to bring him back for the finals. I mean, with the nine-run lead, if you don't trust your bullpen to hold a nine-run lead, I don't know what to tell you. But yes, I just yeah. I didn't understand that. I just didn't understand that. That puts them in a little bit of a... You know, a, a not as good a position as they would have been, I think. Um, I, know we, I know Hire's got a resilient arm. Um, but, uh, you know, he, Lopez didn't say whether Hire's going to pitch the second game or not. I mean, he certainly probably pitched one of those two games. Uh, if they, if, if this thing goes to three, you'd imagine he would start the third game. Um, but, you know, the other guy in the mix is, is James Ferris, the number three starter, and he hasn't pitched since regionals three weeks ago because they won their Super Regional in two games. Um, they won their bracket in three games, you know, w- without having to go to their number three starter. So, you know, you, there's the issue of rust with him. Um, meanwhile, South Carolina can bring back Jordan Montgomery for Game Three. He'll be on uh, four days rest. So, I mean, you know, maybe once you get past the first game, it might set up better for the Gamecocks.
0: I think it does because, you know, Game One, uh, Nolan Belcher is basically well known for his pregame backflip. Correct. Yep. I mean, that's yep. that's his shtick. So he fires the team up. Got to imagine that they're not going to let him do a pregame backflip if he's starting the game. You know, he'll be in the bullpen before he does his pregame backflip. Evan Beal has pitched twice in the postseason. He's gotten four outs. Last time he appeared, I think he faced two batters against Clemson. Gave up a run. That was in the regional. So South Carolina is at a distinct disadvantage, I I think, in that first game. Doesn't mean they won't win it. (laughs) You know, they are South Carolina. But if Connor Wade comes out and pitches like he did against UCLA, I think Arizona's in good shape. You know, like you said, the rest of it after that, you're going to have to beat Roth. And Montgomery was very, very good against Arkansas. I will say, Arkansas, I mean, Arizona, Aaron, let's talk about their offense. We've talked about them all year as a very dynamic, athletic team. That has really played out in Omaha. I feel like you've been quite vindicated in that. not like you need it. But Arizona, you want to crown them, crown them, because they are who we thought they were. Very athletic, uh, very explosive offensively, and two really good pitchers. (laughs) You know? I mean, most of the year they were one really good pitcher, but we've seen good Connor Wade. You know, we saw good Connor Wade. But offensively, between Robert Refsnyder, Mejia, Rickard, now you've seen Brown. We, Johnny Field hasn't even had a great Omaha, but he, he seems like he's had a couple of key plays when they needed him. Uh, this is a team that's scoring runs, even in TD Ameritrade Park, and they're averaging six runs a game. Uh, because they had the big explosion against Florida State, and it didn't hurt the Florida State's offense. I mean, that defense kind of imploded, but uh, this team is aggressive but draws walks, as Mike Martin talked about. They steal some bags, they hit the gaps, they showed a little home run power. They had the two home runs against Florida State. Uh, is their offense even with South Carolina's better, a lot better? How do you like this matchup for them against South Carolina from the offensive standpoint?
1: I do think it's a lot better. You know, I don't think that's overselling it. I mean, um, South Carolina has been having to, you know, scrap, scratch out runs wherever it can. I mean, they're hitting 229 in the series uh, in five games. Um, you know, they, they uh, you know, they, they've, They've been able to manufacture runs when they need them, but there's no question that Arizona is the better offensive team. It's not even close. I mean, you're talking about uh, one team, Arizona, is sixth in the nation in scoring this year, you know, seven and a half runs a game. The other team, South Carolina, is, is 153rd in the nation in scoring, 5.4 runs a game. They average two runs fewer. I mean, it's, uh, you know, It's apples and oranges that you're comparing to these offenses. Um, You know, and and again, I do think that because Arizona is so right-handed hitter heavy, you know, I mean, most of their key guys, uh, Mejia and Mejia Spreen and Johnny Field and Russ Snyder and Ricker, they're all right-handed hitters. And, and, you know, South Carolina has really leaned on its lefties. I mean, between Roth and Montgomery, um, and then, you know, um, Tyler Webb as well. I mean, in the bullpen, those have been three of their four key guys, with, with Matt Price being the other guy. Um, and, uh, that said, you know, Montgomery and, and Roth both have good change ups, and so they're good against right handed pitchers. Um, you know, both those guys, I think the change up was probably their best pitch, certainly their best secondary pitch. Um, so, you know, I don't know that the, the righty lefty matchup issue will be such a huge factor against those guys, but it's something to consider. I mean, if, if you're, you're facing a bunch of good righties, I mean, typically you want a good righty on the mound.
0: Right. It is amazing to me that, uh, Arizona has scored as many runs as it has scored in Omaha with only, you know, have six extra base hits I think it is. I mean, so it's basically been a slashing singles hitting uh approach offensively. they will steal a few bases like we talked about and uh, I tell you individual players. I've been very impressed with Alex Mejia in person and now on TV. The energy he plays with, the way he uh just they're they're very good at shortstop defensively. you not like Joey Pancakes bad. But Alex Mejia is a steady Pac-12 player of the year for a reason. You can see it. I'll tell you who else impresses me for Arizona. I'm not saying he's one of their two best players, but just who's impressed me is Riley Moore, their catcher. He can hit. He's a weapon. Yeah. He's one of those left-handed hitters you're talking about, uh, kind of lurking toward the bottom of that lineup. And you relax, and Riley Moore, I think, can sting the line drive. He, he, he draws walks. Uh, Arizona's lineup is quite good. Uh, like you said, Aaron, the, the, the real question is you know, why they left Hire out there in that blowout against, uh, you know, against uh, Florida State. Because you could have used Crawford for an inning or two. You could have given Ferris an inning or two. You had true back there who could have used the work, and then would have had a couple days off before the final started. You had a nine-run lead, um, and all of that add up. But outside of the way he's handled uh, Matt Kurt Hire. Feels like Andy Lopez has done a pretty nice job with this club because he's he's he knows what they do well and he knows that the artichokes are the, are his team's weakness in the bullpen and he's minimized that uh, to a degree and uh, he's got those guys. I thought Crawford and, and Troop both pitched pretty well and looked good in both those games yeah. against uh, against Florida State. Although I guess he didn't even use Troop in the second game, right? He just used him in the first game.
1: Right, exactly. Um, And, you know, you you talked about Riley Moore, you talked about true. These freshmen for Arizona have been kind of under the radar because the junior class gets so much attention and and undeservedly so. But um, how about Trent Gilbert at second base, another freshman that I think has played really well out here. I mean, he's he's made a lot of slick plays and he hasn't, you know, he hasn't stood out maybe. He hasn't been... uh, uh, overly flashy, but he's he's been very steady for them, which is what they need out of him. And he's gotten a couple of big hits, too. He had, a, I think, a two-run uh, single or double in, in the Florida State game to help break that game open. And, um, you know, he's uh, he's a good player as well. So, I mean, that's another guy that's certainly stood out to me. I love how much ground they cover in the outfield. I mean, Rickard, Field, and Ref Snyder, um, you know, those guys can really track it down out there. We've talked about how good the infield is before. Um, I mean, if you compare that with, with South Carolina, and, you know, we talked about how big this park is, how you have to be able to cover ground in the outfield, and South Carolina is, is also, I mean, they've probably got the fastest outfield out there, uh, with, with the rangiest, anyway, with English and Matthews are both above average or well, <laughs> well above average runners in English's case. Um, and then Evan Marzilli is, I think, one of the most um, electrifying defenders that I've seen in a long time. I, mean, I think he's as good as Jackie Bradley Jr. out there, John. Am I crazy?
0: No, you're not crazy. I think Evan Marzilli, I tweeted last week. I mean, he's a player I've undersold for a couple of years. I mean, he's just, he's really good. I mean, maybe he doesn't have a standout carrying tool from a pro standpoint. Maybe the pro guys wonder just how much uh, offensive impact he'll have, but I don't have much question. That guy's going to be a future leadoff guy in center fielder. He fits the profile. I love Evan Marzilli. The crazy thing to me about South Carolina, Aaron, is I feel that the more tools you have, the more you fit a pro profile. So uh, other than Marzilli, the less they rely on you. Because L.B. Dantzler swings and misses a lot, but, I mean, he's a really good college power hitter, and he's a four-hole guy for them. Christian Walker doesn't have profile power, but, I mean, I know he missed one last night and, you know, left some some ducks on the pond, but, I mean, Christian Walker's been Christian Walker for them. You know, Roth and Montgomery, they may not, you know, I might be able to catch them barehanded, but those guys hit their spots and they pitch in, they angle. And, I mean, they're unhittable, especially Roth. It's just amazing to me that the, the, all their best players, with maybe the exception of Marzillian to a lesser extent Price, because he was like a six-rounder last year, um, and then I guess Jackie Bradley Jr. But throughout this run, their best players have been guys who are great college players like Blake Cooper and Michael Roth. And there's outside of Jackie Bradley, there's nary a pro guy in the mix. Have I missed the, the obvious pro guy in there?
1: I mean, Sam Dyson had a big arm. He was a part of that first title team, but uh, – I don't know. I don't know how his pro career has progressed, Uh, but I mean, you know, you're right. They don't have a lot of a lot of those elite prospects. I mean, it's just a and they're they're guys right now, like the
0: guys with the the pro tools right now, are guys like Adam Matthews and Tanner English, who really aren't very refined players. And Matthews is a senior. Uh, I'm not sure how much more refined he's going to get. And English is very raw. I mean. I know he was a yep. borderline top 200 guy last year. It tells you how how talented he is. That at five foot eight, the pro scouts were really interested in him. And he was a borderline top 200 guy. I ended up leaving him off because of the size and because he's a right-handed hitter. But I didn't think he fit the profile. But he's raw. I mean, if he'd signed yeah, he at a pro, if he'd signed last year, he'd he would be debuting in a GCL this year. Not you know, he'd be he'd be in the Gulf Coast or Arizona League and he might go to the Appy League or the Pioneer League next year. I mean, he's raw. He would not be he's, ready for full season ball.
1: He's put together some very, very uncompetitive at-bats out here. You know, he'll strike out three times in a row. He did this, I think, two a two, couple of games ago, struck out three times in a row, looked horrible doing it, and then all of a sudden he hit a big RBI double. You know, I mean, it's – uh, it. so That's it. That's it. He's come up with some big plays. But I'll tell you what else. I want to I talk about Joey Pancake for a second here at shortstop, John. Please do. This guy has been a standout defensively here, and he's, he's you know done a good job. I think at top the lineup, and I feel like he's he's he has provided them a little bit of a spark uh, in Omaha. He and gives them competitive at bat, yeah. But like you said, he he does give them.
0: He, he's not an automatic out, in that he he competes at the plate. It's, he's different from English. I, I i there's a distinction there, even though English is uh, technically is five for nineteen and Pancake three for twenty one. Pancake, I feel, has been the better hitter out there.
1: Maybe and maybe that's. You know, I don't know, but it's just—I just, I agree with you. I have that same perception. But the biggest thing is, is the defense with Pancake. I mean, he's done a really good job uh, making plays up the middle, throwing on the run, making plays in the hole. He's—he's he's got that ridiculous rifle arm, and he, he likes to use it, and he's been accurate with it. I mean, he's been his emergence has been such a key for the Gamecocks because, um, you know, in the beginning of the year, he wasn't nearly as consistent, and, you know, you're replacing a, a really good shortstop with Peter Mooney, and, you know, before that, of course, you had Haney at short, and um, you need a good shortstop. I mean, it's so obvious, but it's true. You need a guy who you can trust to make the plays in tight games, and and for a while in the season, he wasn't that, and he has become that, and uh, it's not easy to be a, you know, a, a freshman shortstop at, at, in the SEC or, or anywhere else in college baseball. I mean, there's a learning curve there. And uh, he's handled it. You know, I think you got to give him a lot of credit.
0: I'm glad that you said that because uh, earlier in the year it sounded like he was a weakness for that team, and I think now he's a strength, that's the easy way to put it. Chase Ferguson, a strength, hot hit for them in the postseason. Um, yeah, he, he's been clutch for them, and they have some depth. They have some depth in this lineup because they can come off the bench with either a Martin or a Payne, and they both have given them solid at-bats, not all the way, not totally consistent, I mean, there's a reason those guys aren't everyday players. Jeff Payne has a 33 to three strikeout to walk ratio, or whatever it is. So, I mean, Ray Tanner's Ray Tanner. I mean, he only has one more championship than Andy Lopez. But Andy Lopez, uh, to be quite frank with you, hadn't won a title in 20 years. And uh, to be very candid with you, Aaron, uh, he, he did he handled his team very well. But he did a very curious thing in the handling of Kurt Heyer. Whereas, uh, to yeah. be honest with you, I don't think Ray Tanner made one mistake. In three years at Omaha, it doesn't feel like it. He feels like King Midas. I mean, to be quite honest with you, I like Andy Lopez. I'm going to give the edge of coaching to Ray Tanner.
1: You, uh, you know, you, you have to. I mean, it, just every move that the guy makes is is just the right move. And there was a lot of gnashing of teeth among South Carolina fans when Tanner decided to start Roth in the first game against Kent State, knowing that you had to win two games in that day, um, you know, well, you know, we should save Roth for the SEC team. I mean, that was kind of the perception I heard a lot of from South Carolina fans. And, well, you got to trust Ray Tanner, first of all. I mean, you got to win the first game in order to have a second game. Um, Arkansas had handled Roth pretty well in the past, and it just, uh, it was the right move. I mean, the guy knows his personality, He's got such an incredible intuition um, and, and it's just, uh, you know, and it's not just the moves that he's made. I mean, certainly, I've heard about this last night, but the move that he made to put Matt Price in the bullpen midway through the season was was probably the key of the whole deal. Uh, but also, it's the moves he hasn't made, you know, sticking with Adam Matthews because they were winning anyway, and he has faith in that player. He's a senior guy. He's a co-captain. Uh, he knows that this guy makes makes winning plays when it matters, like the catch he made down the right field line, you know, sliding uh, on that sacrifice fly last night, saved at least a run. Uh, and then there's... Uh, you know, I mean, I know he had a, he had a bad game, a couple of bad at bats there left some guys on base, uh, his first you know two of his first three trips yesterday, and then he gets the base loaded walk to win the game. So um you know it's it's a it's a matter of of trusting the your your older players and and you know making a move when you have to make a move and and knowing when not to.
0: Good' said it better myself. I think you're exactly right. a lot of his best moves have been the ones he didn't make, like you said, and leaving Adam Matthews alone. I agree. good move. Uh just leaving Joy Pancake out there. One thing you have to give I think South Carolina a lot of credit for, uh, we do it in Pro ball with player development. South Carolina has player development that goes on at that <clears throat> excuse me in that program, and maybe not from a pro development standpoint, but their players get better. Christian Walker is a much better defender at first base now than he was as a freshman when he was a little bit of a stiff. Joy Pancake, like you talked about but this year, his development. Tanner English is still raw. But he competes enough that in that fourth at bat, after he's given away the first three, he's still out there helping your team win. Grayson Griner, much better player defensively now than he was early in the year when he almost had the yips. So LB Dantzler, another example. I mean, you go on and on in this team with player development, and no one has developed more than than Michael Roth from, you know, situational left-hander to now basically uh, the best pitcher in College World Series history. And I don't, you know, I don't think there's a question. Uh, that he's the best pitcher in Cowboys series history. His numbers are certainly buoyed by the new park the last two years. But, oh, by the way, in 2010, uh, he was at Rosenblatt with the old bats, and he threw a complete game and then five more innings on three days rest. And so he was pretty doggone good then, too. So uh, we've said so many great things about Roth and Price. Again, as I tweeted last night, if you want to beat South Carolina, if you want to dethrone this dynasty, you're gonna to have to go through those two guys, Aaron. I'm putting you on the spot. Can Arizona do it? Will Arizona do it? I guess I know we can. They can do it. Will they we do it? Do do is it. a better question.
1: Oh boy, it's tough. I mean, you know, I've I've gone back and forth on this thing uh, right up until the moment you asked that question. Um, but I'm gonna say no. I think South Carolina three peats.
0: I think that uh, South Carolina is a very good bet to 3 Pete. I am going to pick Arizona, though, because I do feel the pitching sets up a little bit better for them. I do feel that they're right-handed enough. I feel they're offensive enough that they're going to score enough runs to be competitive over these three games. But I'll tell you what, they better get it done in the first two. (laughs) If they don't get it done in the first two, especially if they don't get it done in the first game, they're not going to win the series. But I'll incur all the wrath that anybody wants to give to me. I'm picking Arizona. I just feel they're a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more athletic, a lot more athletic. Um, but, I mean, I think it's, you know, like I said, South Carolina three-peats. I will say, if they three-peat Aaron, it's the most amazing thing I've seen in college baseball in the 15 years I've been covering it. Just getting to the finals three years in a row in the current setup, I mean, you know, Stanford got there three times in four years. In 99, 2001, 2002, Now, I guess it was actually, wait a minute, 2000, 2001, 2003, something like that. They got there three times in four years. I thought that was as good a run as I've seen anyone have without winning it. And two of those losses were single-game losses, you know, in the old format. But, I mean, South Carolina with the current format and then the, the best out of three, it's, it's unfathomable that they could 3 again, with really – where you're not gonna look back I I don't think and say, well here was this big leaguer. I mean I think Michael Roth is a big leaguer, but I think he's like a Josh Spence type of big leaguer, I'm borrowing Matt Eddy's comp comparison in our office. Uh he's gonna be a situational lefty. You know, is Matt Price a big leaguer? I don't know. Yes. Most big league closers have bigger stuff than that, you know? You think he is a big leaguer?
1: I you know, I think he can I think he's gonna will himself there. I mean I don't know that he's gonna I don't think he's gonna be an impact big leaguer though.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, most of the time, I mean, you look back at USC, at Southern California's dynasty, and it was big leaguer after big leaguer back in 70 to 74. It was guys like uh, Steve Kemp and Rich Dower and Roy Smalley, and, I mean, it was loaded with big leaguers. You know, that was, that was whole, USC's whole shtick, was that it was a bunch of big league players. Uh, you look at LSU's dynasty in the, in the, you know, 91 to 2000, that 10 year, six, uh, five titles in 10 years. Obviously, a lot of names changed, but there were a lot of pretty good big leaguers there. Todd Walker, um, is the guy who jumps out. I know there were a couple other pitchers who uh, wound up in the big leagues for them. But there were, a lot of them were fringier, good college players. Eddie Furness, first base, who thinks of the SEC home run record that lasted for a long time. I think Matt Laporta broke his record. Uh, Ed Yarnall, all these kind of guys. Uh, Brad Cressy, the, the clip we've all seen on the NCA thing, they – for whatever reason, the NCAA is showing these highlights of champions. And the one they're showing from the College Series is from the year 2000 with LSU, which is really, really very strange. Uh, but that team, that, that 2000 team, had Theriault and Fontano in the middle infield. Those guys have been in the big leagues for you know, eight years now. Uh, probably 16 combined seasons in the big leagues for Theriault and, and Fontenot. Yeah, you know, they're pretty good big league players. Uh, Russ Johnson was in their career earlier there. I mean, they, they had a lot of big leaguers. More than South Carolina is going to produce, I think. And uh, I just think they've won it in two different eras. They've won it loser's bracket. They've won it as a favorite. And they've beaten great teams. UCLA 2010, Bauer and Cole, that was a great team. Florida last year, that Mm -hmm. was a great team. If they beat Arizona, Arizona's a very good team. I don't know if I'm putting them in great, but a very good team. Very complete college baseball team, especially offensively and with the glove. So if South Carolina accomplishes it, I mean, honestly, there's so many more teams that try now. I think it'd be the greatest accomplishment in college baseball history. It would be more impressive to me than Southern than Southern Cal winning five in a row. So even though I'm not picking them, it doesn't mean I don't it doesn't mean I don't recognize their greatness.
1: It's a, it's a because it's such just, a different era and because there's there's so much more competition and you know so many more teams like you said that try that really you know. Put resources to this thing, and it's not just you know. Obviously, the SEC itself. I mean, if you're the seventh or eighth best team in the SEC, you still might be an Omaha team. Just ask Arkansas. Um, but uh, you know, we got two northern teams here this year. I mean, good northern teams, and it's harder for northern teams to get here now than than it was in the '70s when the the system kind of built it in that way. So that just shows right. you the fact that northern teams you. can. It shows you that Northern teams getting here now means that there's a lot of good teams in college baseball. The talent is more spread out than it used to be. Uh, it's it's just, I think it's so much more impressive to win it now than it was 40 years ago.
0: I want to thank everyone for your patience during this podcast. We had some technical issues. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Despite those, this Baseball America College Podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit atecsports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more on atecsports.com. ATEC, when every practice, for air and fit. I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time in the Baseball America Podcast. So long, everybody.